This is our second week looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 1 to 25. And last week we looked at the gift of tongues. Well, this week we're going to look at the gift of prophecy because both get a big mention in this section. I'm going to read some of the verses we read last week, um, particularly the ones that refer to prophecy explicitly. So let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 starting at verse 1. It says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, If I come to you in speaking tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So we'll skip on now to verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And then we'll skip through again to verse 22, which says, Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, They are convicted of sin, brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Heavenly Father, I do pray as we look at these verses again, you'd help us to understand the gift of prophecy better. But more than that, Lord, you'd impart something of that gift to us, And help us with care and with love to use the gift you've given us to bless and encourage and strengthen and comfort those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, I'm keen to look at three questions uh, on the theme of prophecy today. Firstly, what is prophecy? Secondly, what does 1 Corinthians 14 teach us about the gift of prophecy? And thirdly, well, how can we then eagerly desire the gift of prophecy? So, firstly, what is it? I've got a few definitions for you to consider. The first one is this. Prophecy is the special ability that God gives to members of the body of Christ to receive and communicate an immediate message of God to his gathered people, a group among them, or any one of his people individually through a divinely anointed utterance. Well, I I quite like that. I think it's really helpful. It's a technical definition of prophecy, if you like, written by a theologian. And it's helpful as we're looking at this subject today. Here's another one for you. 
Essentially, prophecy is a sense of the immediacy of God's presence manifested through him speaking to us, but consistent with his revealed and completed word in Scripture. Again, I really like that definition. I think it comes from a pastorally sensitive heart, uh, who no doubt Simon Walker is. But I'm keen as well to, on one hand, demystify prophecy and on another hand to remystify prophecy. So in order to demystify prophecy, I'd say it is simply this. Hearing God's voice for other people. But I'd also want to remystify the gift of prophecy like this. That it's hearing God's voice for other people people. I hope that helps. Anyway, question number two is, well, what does 1 Corinthians 14 tell us about prophecy? Now, you'll remember, if you've been watching these over preceding weeks, that Paul's main point is this passage is to encourage the Corinthian church to eagerly desire the full range of spiritual gifts available, and when gathered in worship settings, the intelligible gifts, the ones that are spoken in the hearer's primary language so that they can understand. So on the one hand, he's telling them, dial down your use of publicly given tongues, particularly when it's chaotic and doesn't come with any interpretation. That's what they're getting wrong uh, in some cases. But on the other hand, he's saying, and also dial up all the other Uh, prophetic gifts, if you like, in your gatherings together. Well, one of the things this passage helps us understand is that prophecy is people-directed, or manward, if you like. There's a short sentence in verse 3, which I find so instructive on so many levels, but it does say this. The one who prophesies speaks to people. And last week we learned, didn't we, that the gift of tongues, this God-given ability to speak in an unlearned language, is Godward or God-directed, expressing something from our spirit to uh, God's spirit by the spirit. Now, in contrast here, prophecy is the other direction. It's, it's gifts from the spirit that are people-directed, in that they reflect something of God's voice to us. His children. Now, many of the specific manifestations of the Spirit that we've been looking at over over the weeks, I think, fall under this broad category of the prophetic gifts. We've heard a bit about a word of knowledge or a word of instruction or a word of wisdom, for example. I think all of these are similar in that they are people directed from God to us and therefore fit under this broad category of the prophetic gifts. The other thing that verse 3 helps us to understand is that prophecy edifies other people. It goes on to say that the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging and their comfort. If you like, this verse helps us define prophecy and its purpose of edifying the people that are being spoken to. So we can say then a hallmark of Holy Spirit-inspired prophetic utterance are those that build people up, that 
help them go away feeling strengthened and encouraged and comforted or consoled. And that is in contrast to tongues, which does that but for oneself, builds up the own person who's giving the tongue. Now, it's worth just mentioning at this point that I think there are two dangers with regard to the prophetic gift. Maybe there are more, but two to to highlight to you today. And we ignore these at our peril. The first is that we allow the now word of God to trump the word of God. Now we can do that by regarding prophetic words as doing more than simply strengthening, encouraging or comforting. We're, we're for example, allowing the prophetic word to, to define truth. Well, no sorry, but, but scripture does that already. All high level authoritative prophecy has already been provided and it's written down for us in our Bibles. So when we're talking about the prophetic gift as a gift of the Spirit in the here and now, in our gatherings, we're talking about low level prophecy, still valuable, still important, still part of God's provision of grace for us as his church today, but they're low level and they always need to be weighed against scripture, always need to be submissive to the truth that we already know is there in our Bibles. However, those very same Bibles anticipate that in the age of the Spirit of which we are in, there will be an abundance of low-level prophetic words and gifts. This was, I believe, Moses' hope when he replied uh, rather admonishingly, I think, when someone complained that two guys were prophesying in the wrong place. This seemed to be uh, out of order. Moses replied, I wish that all the Lord's people uh, were prophets in Numbers 11. This seems to be Joel's prediction following the coming of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people as began at Pentecost and is available still today. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's the expectation of scripture and high-level prophecy. And of course, it was the normal experience of the early church. In all the pages of Acts and the Epistles, we find that the Holy Spirit was coming upon groups of believers in different cities and places and that in many cases they spoke in tongues and prophesied as it tells us in Acts 19 for example and I think this is John's expectation when he's writing Revelation the last book of the Bible he anticipates that prophetic utterances will be part of the mix right up until Jesus's return In Revelation 19, he says, For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Now, the second danger that we must also avoid is that we dismiss or despise the prophetic gift. uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, for example, warns us if we do that, we quench the spirit and the spirit's fire amongst us. And I, for one, don't want to do that. And I've learned the value of recording prophetic words. You can do that so easy now on phones as people bring them, if they're to you personally or on our PA system, if it's collectively. And and reviewing those prophetic words, 
uh, not just against our own sense of judgment, although that's important, but also prayerfully. Uh, praying over them. Lord, is this of you? How am I to respond to this? Help me to, to treasure this if it's of, of you. Yeah, we're holding it lightly, but we're holding it seriously. I think prophetic words are always something to pray about and sometimes things to believe about and sometimes things to do something about. The third thing that this uh, passage helps us understand about prophecy is that we're to especially desire it. Paul seems to be underlining the prophetic gift as, a, as one to particularly go after. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts at the end of chapter 12. And then skipping through to chapter 14, that same theme is picked up. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then forward into verse 5. Again, referring to prophecy as the greater gift. Now we've explained this in, in previous weeks, but it's worth just saying again, I don't think Paul's ranking the spiritual gifts against each other. I think he's returning to his main point, particularly to the Corinthian church, but perhaps to some of us as well, that we should aim for the intelligible spiritual gifts in our gatherings. And that will include a whole variety of the prophetic gift as well as tongues when they're also interpreted. And then fourthly, I think we get a hint here of the practical instructions that Paul goes on to unpack later on in this chapter and we'll look at next week. That we're to aim for our prophetic words to be clear and concise. Verse 19 says, but in the church, talking about the gathered church, yeah, when we come together, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What he's hinting at here, as I say, he'll unpack this more in what we'll look at next week, is that when sharing a prophetic word, we should aim to be suitably brief and to the point. Not least because I think Paul's expecting a whole range of gifts to be operated in, uh, in any particular moment in time. And we need to hear them all. They contribute to each other. They build the picture of what God is saying and doing amongst us. And then fifthly, something this passage I think helps us understand is that prophecy is for believers and for unbelievers. When you look at verse 22 to 25, it can appear rather contradictory. And you can go away scratching your head wondering, well, are prophetic words for believers or, or unbelievers then? Well, I think the answer is simply, well, both. <laughs> Prophecy can be a means for edifying the church. It says that very clearly in verse 22. Prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. But I think the opposite is also true, and these things can both be held true at once. It may be a paradox, but both are true. I think the prophetic words that we have on a Sunday or in, in other settings can open the hearts of the lost. In fact, verse 24, 25 have been, been the basis of my most fervent prayers during this season as we look at this topic. That through the, the, the gifts of the Spirit being operated in the life of the church, that God's present would, presence would be so manifest that the unbeliever's heart would be opened 
receive the truth and respond with a yes and amen that Jesus has risen from the dead and he is alive today and worth living our lives for. That's the essence of, of the, the, the sign-off there in verse 24 and 25. So then that leaves us with this third question. How then can we eagerly desire the gift of prophecy? What can we do to press into this gift if it is so valuable and important amongst us, as I hope you've been convinced that it is? Well, I'm sure there are many things and we can learn from one another with this, but I just want to highlight a few for starters. Firstly, whilst not wanting to overanalyze or oversimplify the prophetic gift, on balance, I think it is helpful to think about prophecy as having three component parts. They would be revelation, interpretation, and application. What do I mean? Well, by revelation, this is really asking yourself the question, what is God using to grab my attention? If you like, what is the raw material that God has used to uh, suggest that he's got something to say to you, maybe through you? Now, we know uh, that God speaks in a surprisingly varied number of ways. It could be in a dream or a picture or a phrase or a feeling. It could be through an object or even an angel uh, and many more besides. And it's, it's spotting when God is in one of those moments. I love reading uh, the prophecies of Amos, not least because uh, I like the way he gets his revelation. We, we read often in that book that it starts with him seeing something relatively ordinary, maybe, maybe in the natural, maybe in his mind's eye, I'm not sure, but sometimes it's a plumb line. Not many of us use plumb lines anymore. We've probably got a, a spirit level or something similar. Um, or a basket of ripe fruit. He saw a swarm of locusts on another occasion. Or, or God standing by an altar. Most of the time he's asked, Amos, what do you see? And he had an answer. That's how the revelation came to him. And that's encouraging because many people have something similar. They, they, they see a picture or, or can imagine a scene. That's where the word seer comes from when we're thinking about prophets. They're seers. They can see things in, in God. I know, for example, when I'm in prayer ministry contexts, uh, praying for somebody, I, I, I've often come now to use um, the phrase, I ask them, uh, I, first I pray that God will reveal something to that individual to help them in their issue or what they want prayer for. And then I wait for a minute. Uh, and then I ask them, what do you see or hear or feel? Uh, God could communicate through all sorts of means and it's surprising how often that person would say, I, I, I think there's this or there's that. Something has come to mind. And then we can work with that and it's clear as we step forward in prayer that God is working through that image or word or, or sense. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd. And as it says in John 10, he expects his sheep to follow him because they know his voice. And as his sheep, if you're like me, uh, you know there's a lot of fluff uh, going on between our ears as well as on the outside. But, but we do have, as his sheep, this latent ability to hear 
and discern the voice of our shepherd. And the prophetic gift starts with us each learning to hear God's voice for ourselves in all the surprising ways that he might grab our attention. And then it's only a relatively small step for us to start learning to hear God's voice for other people. So step number two then is the interpretation. And uh, in this, we're asking the question, what is God saying through this? And we've got to take care because however excited we might be about the revelation, it's possible to get that right, but the interpretation wrong. To give you an example, um, Peter in the Bible, he he received this vision in a trance-like state of of animals being let down from heaven uh, to him. And uh, they were for him as a Jew the kind of animals that would be considered unclean. And he was told, get up, kill, and eat these animals. And for him, this was a disgusting, perplexing, um, agonizing thought. And we're told in Scripture that three times Peter went back to the Lord and prayerfully asked, what does this mean? It wasn't so obvious to him. It, It wasn't automatic that he understood it correctly. But we do know eventually he understood enough that there were going to be some Gentiles knocking at his door and he was to go with them. Well, he knew that was the interpretation, at least for starters. Therefore, when you receive a revelation, just bear in mind, it's not necessarily the same moment. You're not ready necessarily to share what you've received. We need time in those moments to prayerfully discern, to weigh up, well, okay, Through that, what is God actually trying to say? To me, perhaps, or maybe to others, if he wants me to pass it on. And only then may we be ready to contribute in a meeting. When bringing a prophetic word, I would also suggest you don't need to share the whole story about how the revelation came to you, how God grabbed your attention, how he alerted you to this. Um, That may be really encouraging for you, but it was a means to an end of you discerning God's voice for somebody else or for the gathered church. Now, it could be that um, the picture or the scene that God gives you is such a vivid uh, expression or, or, or powerful metaphor that some description of it is helpful in the relaying of the message, but sometimes it's not. The real gold is cutting to the chase, is, is sharing what you believe God is saying. That's, I'm sure, what Amos discovered. He might have had a picture, but it was what God was saying through it that the people needed to hear. And we do it in that way, don't we? In all humility, I think God is saying this. We don't need to be certain or, or confident however much faith we're feeling at the time, because we know we prophesy in part, and we'll look at that next week. Then the third step is application, and the question here is, well, what does God want the hearers of the prophetic word to do? Now, this often comes from the hearers themselves discerning the the next step, if you like, although it could be that the person bringing the prophecy Um, has that in mind or has a sense of what that might be and and knowing that might shape the way or the tone in which you bring that prophetic word. 
But again, care is needed. It's possible to get the application and the interpretation correct, but then the application wrong. And I'm fascinated by this example of Agapus in uh, Acts chapter 21, where he dramatically prophesied that if Paul were to go to Jerusalem like he wanted to do, he was going to get arrested. And he grabbed um, Paul's belt, don't worry, my trousers will stay up, and he, and he wrapped the, his belt around his hands to illustrate um, what was going to happen to Paul if he went. And quite naturally, I think, um, all those who were hearing it were pleading with Paul, don't go, Paul, in tears. They, they didn't want him to leave. But it's interesting that Paul... Um, had a different application. And I think the way scripture presents it leads us to conclude that actually Paul was right in the application where everybody else was a bit off. He said, look, why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be bound, but I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, he saw that this prophetic word, rather than redirecting him, Paul saw it as God confirming the direction he was to go in and preparing him for what may lie ahead in terms of trials. Now in our life groups, and I trust life groups is a, is a, is a place where many of you are able to, to grow in this gift of prophecy. Uh, or maybe in prayer ministry uh, settings with a few of you, it's, it's easy perhaps for different ones of you or us to bring the different elements. Maybe if one of us is new to bringing prophetic words, we've got this revelation, this picture, this word, and that's all we've got, and so we share it. And then perhaps someone else in the group can say, you know, I feel God's given me the interpretation for that. And then maybe together you can discuss with the person it's for. You can say, is this, does this mean anything to you? Does this resonate? And then share what you think the outworking of that might be and, and get their input on it all. Let's do this together. We don't have to be on our own in this. On a Sunday or in a, in a bigger setting, we tend to ask, in our, in our church at least, here at Wimbledon, for people to bring their word to the meeting leaders um, when prompted to uh, contribute and there are pros and cons with that but that's uh, on balance I think helpful for us Um, but in that moment you haven't got time uh, to give the long version or even to give the real time version of what you think you're to share it's helpful for the meeting leaders and I think for yourself to just summarize three things about what um, you've got to, to share. Firstly, what type of contribution is it? Look, it's helpful to say, look, Tim, I think I've got a prophetic word. Or I think I've got a tongue to bring. Or I've got a word of instruction or this Bible verse God wants me to uh, speak about. You might want to share, but you don't have to, the, the type of revelation you receive. I've got, I had this dream about, uh, about something. Or, or I've got this picture of a tree. Or you don't need to go in all the details about how you received it or, or, or the description that you have, but just to give it some kind of shape to what you might bring. And then perhaps really importantly is just to summarise in a word, in a phrase, in a sentence at most, what you think God wants to say. I think it helps the bringer of the contribution just sharpen the focus. Because the clearer and the more concise it can be, I think the more impactful the prophetic word is amongst us. Even when there's detail. 
Um, and I think then distilling it before you arrive is helpful. But I know what it's like. You can come forward and say, uh, I think I've got a prophetic word. Uh, I see a picture of a tree, and I think God's saying that he loves us. I mean, I know it doesn't sound particularly uh, profound. But you know, it is. And there'll be more words when you actually share it. There'll be some detail, and there'll be, there'll be the... the the, the, the emphases that the Spirit gives you in the moment and, and there'll be something in the now of this word, even if it is, you know, God loves you. That is so pertinent and helpful and meaningful and releasing to those who hear it in the moment. Secondly, uh, by way of uh, growing in the prophetic, I would encourage us to eagerly desire God's word and God's spirit. In a gathering, yes, let's be open to God using us, me, yes, you, uh, in any way he chooses, um, without restriction, without our nerves or, or false humility getting in the way. But, you know, most of our preparation is beforehand well, and afterwards and continually in our lives. Um, I'm going to put on the screen here two verses that I, I go to a lot. One is in Colossians, one is in Ephesians, and they both describe a very similar um, scene of charismatic worship involving psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, if you like, scripture being spoken or sung, uh, composed songs that we can all join in with, and then these spontaneous songs in the spirit of, of us all uh, singing heavenly or human languages together. But what's interesting is, these two very similar sounding verses root the source, their, their exhortation to grow in these things uh, are, are different. In the one, they encourage, it encourages us to let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. I mean, what a wonderful description of daily Bible reading, of meditating day and night on the word of God. That's a source, it's, it's the root of the charismatic expressions of worship. And then, and then the second one is, uh, is a little bit different. It, it talks about us not being drunk. What's the point of that? Leads to debauchery, but instead being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you like getting drunk, getting marinated in the Holy Spirit. What a graphic illustration of walking a spirit-filled lifestyle. And you know, I know of no better way of growing in the prophetic than devouring God's word and drinking of God's spirit day after day, month after month, decade after decade. Number 22 illustrates that God can speak through a donkey if he wants to, but I don't want to be that donkey. I would much rather uh, go, uh, not shortcut this, but cultivate a close walk with the Lord through his word and his spirit. And out of that, I believe, will develop in all of us a life-transforming, church-shaping, kingdom-advancing prophetic gift. And that, that is worth eagerly desiring. You know, when Paul spoke to a, a small group, a dozen uh, believers in Ephesus, a bit like a life group, he asked them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And if not, or you're unsure, or like them, you don't know much about the Holy Spirit until now, well, you can 
receive the Holy Spirit right now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer for the Holy Spirit to fill you. All believers in Christ are able to be filled by the Spirit. That's normal Christianity. So during this next song, and as I pray, why don't you stand where you are? Even if you're in your own front room, put your hands out to him. Receive his gift, himself, the Holy Spirit, and the prophetic gifts that you so eagerly desire. And then as we we sing, why, why not? As you're praising, why not proclaim out loud praise and and truths that God impresses upon your heart. Holy Spirit, I thank you that the day of Pentecost has arrived and we are now still living in the age of your Spirit. And I pray for every brother and sister of mine, would you come right now and fill them with your Holy Spirit. And I pray for the gift of prophecy. Come and impart that to each of us. And where it's been dormant, again, revive it and help us to grow in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.